Hey, good morning. It is so, so good to be with you this morning and spend some time digging into God's word together to hear what it has to say for us together this morning. Um, There's a whole lot going on kind of in this season of life for so many of us. A lot of graduations happening, uh, ball tournaments, all sorts of stuff. But uh, this this morning, uh, Pastor George and his family, they have spent the weekend with some family with uh, their daughter, McKenna. Her high school graduation was this past week. And so they got some family in town. Um, And I just ask you to pray for your pastor. They've undergone a good bit of transition over the course of the past year. And man, are we so glad they did, um, but they've experienced a lot of transition. So just pray for them um, and, and for McKenna spe- specifically as she kind of looks towards what God has uh, for her next. And so this morning, we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians together. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can open it up or the, the back of the seat in front of you. Um, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19 this morning. Um, and continuing in the series that we've been in for the past several months, um, we'll, we'll have this sermon this morning and then next Sunday, we will tie up kind of the first half of the book of Ephesians together. So we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19. And I would just ask that you stand as we read God's word together. This has become our custom on a weekly basis. And something that I think that is so special about this is um, each one of us in this room is standing out of respect and reverence for what God has to say to us. Um, Not our thoughts, not our opinions, not our preferences, but what God has to say uh, to us, that it is his truth that we stand on. So let's, let's read this together. This is Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height, length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is God's word for us this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we come together in this place to hear from you. God, we thank you that we don't have to guess what you want from us or who you want us to be or how you feel about us, but you reveal it to us so clearly in your word. And so now this morning, God, we come to you saying we need to hear from you. We need you to tell us those things again. Tell us the good news of your love for us. Tell us the good news of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, for us. Father, and inside of us, compel us to follow Jesus, your son, in love and good works the way that you have intended us to do. So Father, in this room, we pray that you would work and you would move because it's what you do. So our hearts are ready, our ears are open, our minds are ready to receive what you, the holy and living God, has to say to us this morning, God, and we pray that you would change us to be more like Jesus because of our time together here today. God, that you would do that. We count on you to do it because it's what you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the book of Ephesians is written by a guy named Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament as we've been through this before. Um, He's currently in, as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's currently in prison in Rome and he is writing to the church um, at Ephesus, writing this letter. 
to talk about what the church is, what God's design and plan for the church is. And so the book of Ephesians is, is kind of divided into two halves. You've got chapters one through three that kind of gives you the theology of the church, who we are intended to be as God's people, as his church. And then the second half of it, you've got four through six that really is more practical in nature, how we live that out. But here toward the end of chapter three, we move from Paul talking kind of theology and, and definition of the church. We get to the end of chapter three and Paul moves from who we are to a prayer. And this prayer is really, the way it fits in here, it's really intended to be, all right, we've talked about who we need to be. Now let's, let's pray. I'm gonna pray and ask God to really make you to be who he has intended you to be. And so if you look at, um, if you look at chapter, chapter three, verse 14 and 15, this is where things get started off for us this morning. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every heaven and on earth, for every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul says, all right, we've talked about this. We've talked about who the church needs to be. We've talked about the church that is intended to glorify God, to live the mission that's to be unified and diverse and focused. And because of God's intent for the church, now I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask God to do this. Um, there's a lot of what commentators have to say about these few verses we're gonna look at this morning. Um, part of the reason that it's, it's hard to really nail down the pattern of what's happening here or to nail down any kind of like grammatic structure if you're into that kind of thing is because the book of Ephesians, Paul dictated it. He said it out loud, somebody wrote it down. And when we get to this part, you can envision Paul literally in a prison in Rome bowing on his knees before God and praying. So this is this earnest emotional prayer. Um, if you were to look at prayer during the time that this letter was written, a lot of what your understanding of prayer would look like would come from the temple and um, what Jewish priests and leaders within the temple would do in terms of worship and prayer. And a lot of times there wasn't a whole lot of bowing. There was just this kind of uprightness, this piety, this professionalism that comes along with prayer. But what Paul is modeling for us here is not a professionalism. It's almost more of, of just an honest earnestness before God, that he's humbling himself, he's bowing on his knees, and he's praying for the church. He's praying for the church in Ephesus, and he literally is praying for us today that this is who we would be. So for this reason, Paul's suffering, but he's committed to the church. He's bowing before the Father in humility. And he's not just given some kind of like locker room speech or um, some sort of guilt trip to tell the church, to pray that the church would be who God's intended them to be. He's calling on the God who has all power, all ability, all authority to do what only God can do. And he's praying here, not just in an abstract way. If you look at the way that he writes this, he's praying to God the Father who has given, every, has given a name to every family and on heaven and on earth. So he says, I'm praying for the church, but let's remember that the church is a family, that God is our Father, and that we are in this together. And as we're praying to him, we're not doing it in a removed way, we're counting on God to show up, to do what only he can do. And so we see three things in this passage that Paul prays, three things that he asks God to do. First is that the church would be strong through the power of the gospel. Second, that the church would experience the love of God in ways that are greater than we could ever understand, and that the church would fully be who God intends for us to be. So this first little section, this is verses 16 and 17. 
Paul says, according, he's praying for the church, according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you might be rooted and grounded in love. Paul's prayer is that the church, that we, we would be strong through the gospel. The way that Paul is praying it, he talks about the abundant riches of God. So he's calling on God who has everything at his disposal, everything at his fingertips. He's got all power, all authority, all ability. We're singing a song about how even the wind and the waves obey the words and the voice of God. He's got all ability. And so Paul is praying, on, praying to the God who can do anything to give us strength. So he says that he wants God to give, give us strength with power by the Spirit. So when we talk about strength, uh, if you were to look it up just in a dictionary, um, a, a good definition is the capacity to withstand pressure or force. So Paul is praying that we would have the capacity to stand against pressure or force. Now, in our culture, in our society, when we think about strength, um, it is something that we look at and kind of revere. When somebody's strong, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, we see it as a, as a sign of prominence, of importance, um, that they have an ability, a capacity that, that others should look up to. But what Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about physical strengths. He's not saying, God, you know, give them bigger biceps, help their deadlift to be, you know, to be heavier, you know, like all those sorts of things. He's not praying for physical gains. He's praying for physical strength, that the God of all power and all authority would give us spiritual strength, not physical, but that inner being that Paul talks about. So the question would be, if Paul's praying this, if he's praying that we would have spiritual strength by the power of the Spirit, why do we need it? Why do we need to be strengthened? The truth is here that when each of us walked in the door this morning, that we all walked in here with a similar condition. That similar condition is that we are all by nature weak. It's not what you were hoping to hear today when you walked in, I'm sure. We all walked in the door by nature weak. We were created, really, we were created to be weak. We were created that we would never be able to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient, to be able to get through life in any capacity on our own. We were created to be needy. Now, why would God do that? Why would God create us to be weak people? Why would he create us with need? Because he knew that if he created us with weakness, with inability to, to, to accomplish really anything on our own, that in our neediness, we could only find full sufficiency, full provision in God himself. So in creating us as weak, needy people, he created us so that we could be fully satisfied in the best and full satisfaction we could ever have, and that is in God himself. So we're weak by nature. We were created to be dependent, not to be independent. And in that weakness, we are, we're easily tempted. Our affections are easily drawn away. We are deceived by our greatest weakness, which is to believe that we can do it all on our own, that we can be self-sustaining, that we can be self sufficient. And so in this weakness, we also feel this pressure on top of us, right? So we feel this pressure from all sorts of places around us. 
This morning, some of you felt pressure, you felt weakness when you were at home trying to figure out if you were gonna be able to get out the door if you have young kids with your whole family, with everyone dressed and ready to go and maybe halfway in a good mood. Anybody feel that pressure this morning? We all feel this pressure and we all felt the pressure just like we walked in the room with that common condition of weakness. We all walk in the room feeling a different element of pressure in one way or another whether that comes from circumstances within family or at work, in relationships, in just society, things that are going on around us in our world, we feel this pressure like we should be able to stand up underneath against it. But we're not able to on our own. We're not able to on our own. We act like we're strong when really we're weak. In our neediness, in the way that God has created us, We cannot be both self-sufficient and dependent at the same time. We We can't meet our own needs and be needy at the same time. We may think that we have the capacity to do that, we may feel like, man, I've got, I'm having a good day today. I feel like I'm not wanting for a whole lot. I feel like I'm able to stand up against some of the pressures that are pushing down against me. I feel like I'm able to do that. But ultimately, those things will never sustain. We will always hit a capacity. We will always hit a point of atrophy that we're not able to stand up under against. Okay? Um, you feel it in different ways in your own life. This past week, I, I called my wife, Holly. There are some things going on here just in terms of leadership and, and the things that I'm responsible for within our church. And I called Holly and I just said, I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling overwhelmed. There's a lot going on right now. And in the process of that, I'm talking about kind of the things that have felt overwhelming, the things that have made me feel weak. And as I'm processing those things out loud with her, I'm reminded that I was never meant to be strong enough to, to stand up against all pressure. Now, I would like to believe that. I don't know if you're like that or not. I would love to believe that I am limitless in ways, that I've got the capacity to be in all places at one time, that I've got power and a strength that's never going to run out, that I've got the ability to come up with the right answers or say the right thing or offer the right word of comfort, that I've got the capacity to do that. Now, the truth is we've got unlimited resources in front of us. We've got unlimited capacity in front of us only through strength that is provided to us in Jesus. But the deceiving moment is when we believe that we can do that on our own, that we're able to accomplish and be strong under the force of pressure. I, um, my degrees are in theology. They are not in math or science, and that shows up in lots of places. But if you look, if you look at the, the equation for power, if you look at the equation for power, like if you just Google that guy, the equation for power is work over time. The equation for power is work over time. And so when Paul is praying, when we together pray, that God would give us strength by the power of his spirit. We are praying that God would do a work in us over time to provide his strength for us. Not in, one foul, not in just one shot, not just in one circumstance, but in the span of a life that we would constantly be dependent on the power and sufficiency of God. So when we look at this passage and we see this idea of weakness and we can resonate with it on our own, we also need to know that the guy who wrote this, that he gets weakness. He wrote about it in a lot of his letters as God inspired him in the scriptures. But one specifically I wanna look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses nine and 10. But he said to me, this is Paul, he's writing this saying that he prayed and asked God to remove his weakness, <laughs> to remove his, his, 
his, um, the thing that would make him recognize his own finiteness. He's prayed and asked for it, but God's response, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we recognize that our strength comes from faith in Christ alone. We have access to strength to stand up under the force of pressure only when we confess our weakness. And that's the starting point of understanding the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God loves people so much that he sent his son Jesus to be one of us, to put on human flesh and bone and to walk around on this earth experiencing every sort of temptation and pressure that you and I experience, but he didn't, he didn't fall down underneath it. He knew no weakness. He stood up underneath it. There, he lived in a way that we just do not have the ability to live. But then, not only did he stand in our place living a perfect life for us, he also took on all of our imperfections, all of our weaknesses, all of our abilities upon himself and paid the price for it with his own life on a cross. That he died on the cross but he didn't stay dead. It wasn't just the penalty for our sin, but he gives us victory. He gives us strength through his resurrection, that he rose from the grave, that not even death could hold him down. And that's what he hands over to us. Amen. This is the power of the gospel, but for us to get it, for us to really understand God's truth and his strength for us, we have to start off by saying we cannot do it on our own. We have the inability, we are weak. We have to say, God, we cannot save ourselves. Only you can do this, this is the gospel. The way this set of verses breaks down, it's not only that Paul prays that we would have strength by the power of the spirit, but then he says that through faith, by trusting in Jesus, by access to that strength, then Christ himself would dwell in our hearts. What the scriptures tell us is that when we place our faith in Jesus, that the very spirit of the living God comes to live inside of us. So if you read in the Old Testament, you see that God would dwell in a tabernacle, in a place that was, was built, a tent that was erected, right? God would live there. He would sit in between two sets of angels' wings. And so the, the power, the presence of God was located in one spot. But through Jesus us giving full relationship with God through his life, death, and resurrection. We're not talking about a tabernacle, a tent anymore. The very power and presence of God dwells with inside the person of each believer. The word dwell here literally is the same as tabernacle. He comes to live and reside inside of us. And so through faith in Jesus, we have strength. We're able to stand up underneath pressure. But at the same time, the Spirit of God, Jesus, he comes to live inside of us. He renovates and takes up residence in our hearts. He renovates and takes up residence in our hearts. He gets inside of us and he changes that weakness from something that we don't wanna be known as to something that we readily identify as because when we do, we're trusting in the strength of God in our lives. He then says that we're rooted and grounded in love because of Jesus. 
through his love for us. I think it would be easy to look at, at this passage and, and even talk about strength and the spirit of, of God, of Jesus dwelling inside of us. And when we see this one phrase here, talking about being rooted and grounded in love, saying, man, I've gotta have some really great love in order to be rooted in it. I've gotta love Jesus real hard. I've gotta love God and follow his ways really, really well in order for my roots to stay well grounded in love. But the soil the love that our roots are planted in, that our foundation is built upon. It's not our ability or our capacity to love God. Our roots are planted in soil that God himself put there. It is his love for us. That's the foundation that our lives are built on, is the love of God himself. Um, when I was kind of just thinking through and praying through this passage, the mental picture that kept coming to mind when I got to this part about being rooted and grounded in love, this is gonna sound so weird, is hurricane season. So August, you know, September, around that time, we start getting all these weather reports about hurricanes hitting the Gulf Coast, you know, Alabama Gulf Coast, um, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, that whole area right there. And we also, um, without fail, get this video footage of a meteorologist that is standing in the middle of these just unbelievable conditions with a raincoat on. I'm not really sure why. When it's just the wind and the pressure, it's so heavy, it's so great. They're just getting soaked. I mean, there's no way that they can withstand the pressure. They're leaning into it because their body wants to be blown over. You see the, the repercussions of debris flying all through the air, hitting condos and hotels of trees that were once vertical going horizontal, getting blown down. But then there is the situation, there is the case where in the middle of all of this pressure that's being pushed against, there are trees that are standing up straight and tall. The, wind, the branches are moving. You can tell that the wind is blowing, that the pressure is there, but they stand up straight and tall. There are condominiums and hotels that, that they have been prepared. They're, they've got those, those concrete pillars that are just dug deep into the ground so that their foundation is be able to, to stay steady and to stay sure. And so when we talk about being rooted and grounded in love, have that mental picture of the pressure you feel pushing against you. Pressure to go your own way. Pressure to do your own thing. Pressure to be what other people want you to be rather than who God has designed you to be. All of those pressures, they're pushing against you like that hurricane wind. But your roots, because of Jesus, the strength you have because of Jesus, your roots are firm and secure. They are grounded in the love of God for you because of Christ Jesus. We are rooted and grounded in love. We have strength because of the gospel. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me, this next part. That we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's prayer here is that we would experience the love of God which is greater than we are able to understand. It's interesting here, Paul, he uses physical dimensions. He talks about breadth, you know, how wide something is, how deep something is, how, some, how tall something is. He puts physical attributes on something that cannot be measured, right? Love itself, we can't put it in a box. We can't take a ruler out and say, this is how much love I'm gonna give you, right? It is something that we experience, but we're not able to measure. Paul is talking about it in ways that, that help us wrap our mind around it the best we can but then he says, this love is so great, this love is so good that it surpasses all understanding. It will blow your mind away. You can't even wrap your mind around it. However, however great you think God's love is for you, go to infinity past that. And that's what God's love 
is for us in Christ Jesus. No ruler, no scale, no graph can tell us what love is, but we can experience the love of God firsthand through the person of Jesus. We can experience the love of God firsthand through the person of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that all those things that we would think make us unlovable, all of those things that we think have separated us from God in a way that it's too far, there's no way that he can love me, that it's in those moments that Jesus doesn't just look down and pop our hands and say, you shouldn't be doing that. Jesus, in those moments, he comes and he gives his life so that we could be set free from that. He gives his life so that we could have strength to not live in the petty things that we think will fulfill us, but he comes and gives, him, gives his life so that we can have strength and be fully fulfilled in God himself. The love that we're talking about is not just affection. It's not just this, God has this warm feeling toward us. But the love that we're talking about, that's so big it's past our comprehension, it is love that produces, it's an emotion that produces action. Love is an emotion that produces action, not just an affection. So think about this. I could, I could any, any set of kind of relationships you can think about where there may be love that's present. So a friendship, um, a marriage, um, a parent, a, a, a child to a parent, a parent to a child, where love is present that causes us to do crazy things that causes us to really reorient our lives around the people that we love, that causes us to step in in really difficult circumstances. I can tell Holly, my wife, all day long that I love her, but if I don't show up, do I love her? I can tell my kids all day long that I love them, but if I don't show up into whatever their circumstance is, do I love them? Friendship, the same way. Love is not just affection, it is an emotion that produces action. We see this in God's love for us. So look at 1 John chapter 4, verses nine and 10. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest, it was made known to us that God sent his only son into this world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Our roots are in him, our foundation is on him, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the substitute for our sins. The love of God is something that we can know, but we can never fully know it. And so how do we experience it? So there's this little phrase that's stuck in those verses there when it talks about us experiencing the love of God. It says that we would with all the saints experience the love of God. God's design and his purpose is that we would experience the love of God, experience his love through his church. That as we are here together as a family that's caring for one another, loving one another, meeting one another in difficult places, celebrating with one another when things are awesome, that we're experiencing the tangible love of God in greater capacity than we would be able to on our own. So we can experience it firsthand through what Jesus has done for us, but it is amplified through the church. Now, with a room this size, and just thinking about the amount of people that are in here, it is likely that some of you in this room, when I talk about the church being a way that the love of God should be amplified, you may have experienced the opposite of that. You may have experienced church hurt where something has happened to you by someone or a group of someones that has made you feel less than, that has called hurt or shame, 
cause you to look at yourself differently than God actually looks at you. And what I would say to you this morning is I am so sorry that that has been your experience because it was not God's plan. What happens when people get together of any fashion or any sort is that we're bringing all of our weaknesses to the table. We're all coming together with a big pile of weakness and if we don't take that weakness and turn to Jesus to be our strength, we're gonna operate out of that weakness and people are gonna get hurt in the way. So it was not God's plan, but it may have been what happened to you. The thing that I would encourage you about in the middle of that, that even if you've experienced the opposite of God's plan, not love, but hurt, is that you would know that some of the greatest love that we can experience always comes through hurt. It's always on the other side of it. And that may be you personally working through, asking God to, to help you forget, asking God to help you not have bitterness towards somebody that's hurt you. It may be you have been the one that has caused the hurt and you need to show up and show the tangible love of God to the person that you have hurt, asking for their forgiveness leaning into who God has really designed the church to be, to amplify his love when we are together, not to magnify our weaknesses. God's plan is that we would experience love through the church. Now, you may have experienced hurt through the church, but you may also just be in a position where we talk about weakness being a common experience. You may have not walked in here just feeling weak. You may have walked in feeling unloved. That there's no way that anyone, let alone God, could love you, that you've done too much, you've gone too far, you have held him at arm's length for too long, you've lived up under your own strength and ability as much as you can. There's no way that God could love you. You feel unlovable. Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39 speaks directly to this for us this morning. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor anything else in all creation, nor the anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That God's love is for you. God's love is for you that you would be able to experience intimately how massive God's love is for you. Not just affection, but emotion that led him to action in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. That we would find strength in the gospel, that we would know love, the love of God that's greater than our, even our ability to understand. And that lastly, that we would fully be who God has intended us to be as individuals and as the church, that we'd fully be who God has intended us to be. Look at verse 19, just the second half of that verse. Paul's praying that we would be strengthened through the power of the Spirit, that we'd experience the love of God as Jesus dwells in our hearts. Why? That we may be filled with the fullness of God, verse 19b. That we would be fullness, filled with the fullness of God. This phrase itself, it's just a difficult one for me to wrap my mind around. There's one commentator, um, a guy named Kent, Kent Hughes, that he talks about this phrase being like going to the ocean with a jar and dipping, bending down and taking your jar and putting it next to the ocean water and the water coming in the ocean jar and you've kind of putting the top on it and standing up and saying, I've got the Pacific Ocean in this jar. Now, do I have the Pacific Ocean, part of it, little section, of, like do I have a pint of the, of the Pacific Ocean in this jar? 
Yes, but do I have the enormity of the Pacific Ocean in this one jar? It's impossible to harness. We're unable to do that or to understand it. But what Paul is saying is that when we are strengthened by God through the power of his spirit and we experience his love, that those things, it's like the fullness of God is, in, is inside of us. The, the word that's used here for the, the fullness, I think is such a great word. If you look at it in the Greek, it, it literally is a word picture of like a ship being full, ready to set sail. So it's almost like the way that this prayer, if we're living out this prayer, if we experience the strength of God and we know the love of God, then we are packed up and ready to go out into the world and to carry the good news and the good name of Jesus wherever we go. Summer's coming, summer vacation's around the corner. I can't help but thinking about packing our minivan, getting ready to go out. I'm shoving every last thing I can in there. Last summer, I bought a net to go across the back of our minivan so that stuff wouldn't fall out because I pack it that full, right? That I'm full and ready to go and take on whatever thing that we have in front of us as a family. That this is what God does for us in Christ Jesus. That in his strength and in his love, he packs it in there so tight. We're full beyond capacity. We've got so much of his love, so much of his strength, so much that we could never do on our own. That man, when, we are, when we're going down whatever lane God has for us in life, whether that's your neighbors that live right door ne next door to you, your family, wherever you're going, that you are packed full and tight because of God's strength and power in your life to live the purpose that he has for you that we would fully be everything that God has intended for us to be. So you may have walked in here this morning feeling weak. You may have walked in feeling unloved. You may have walked in here this morning feeling like you don't have any purpose in life. What God's word tells us is that we each have a purpose to be packed full with his love, to carry his strength, and that our purpose is that we would carry his good news, his good nature, his good love, his good strength with us wherever we go. Because as weak as we feel walking in this room, there is a world out there that doesn't even understand what strength is because they don't know Jesus. And so he, he sends us on mission. He sends his church on mission to carry this good news with us wherever we go. And we're not just talking about heartfelt affection. We're talking about emotion, God's love for them that moved him to action in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. There's a lot going on in this prayer. There's a whole lot. I'm counting on God doing what he says he's gonna do, that his word does not return void. And so there is something here for you. It may be weakness. It may, you feel weak. You may feel unloved. You may feel without purpose. God gives us good news for those feelings this morning. He gives us good news for our reality. So I'm just gonna ask you if you would bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. I'm gonna ask that you would pray this one prayer that you would ask God to speak to you through his word. Whatever you were carrying when you walked in the door this morning, whatever you were carrying when you walked out your house, that you would know his strength, you would know his love, that you would understand his purpose for you. Will you just pray and ask him to speak to you and then I'll pray.
God, this morning we take you at your word. We take you at your word that you have all power, all authority, all ability, yet you come to us. That you don't lord over us with that strength and tell us to get our act together, but you meet us in our weakness and you give us your love. You extend to us your strength and then you give us a mission. We get to experience you to know you fully and then to take you out so that you would be fully known by others. God, this morning, I pray that you would meet meet each of us the way that you know to meet us. That you're a good father who knows us as your sons and daughters. Father, that we would hear your voice, that we would know your strength, know your love, know your purpose. God, this morning, for those that are in this room this morning, that they get that feeling of weakness because they've never experienced your strength. God, I pray that today would be the day where they turn to you for the first time. Father, where they would say, I've tried all I can do to, to stand up under pressure, but I keep falling short. I don't, I, maybe I don't know where else to go or this, this news sounds so good, I wanna give it a shot. God, I pray that they would find satisfaction in you through Jesus. God, I pray that would happen today, that a life would be changed in eternity today. God, would you do that? God, we say together that we trust you. We wanna live out the full purpose that you have for us as your people, as your church. God, knowing that you have all strength, all victory, all power, God, we have confidence in you and we follow you, Jesus. Give us the strength to do so. We pray in Christ's name, amen.